Welcome, welcome everyone to episode 75 of Double DM. We are just 25 episodes away from the big, big 100 episodes of the show. Thank you for being here, dear listener, and listening to this episode. Let us get right into usual business. This episode asks the big question, theater of the mind versus battle maps. Which of the two is actually better for your D&D and TTRPG tables? We have a lot of thoughts on the advantages and disadvantages of both and especially also how they can and also are used together. As always, remember that it's not actually about which of the two is better than the other and more about what fits the situation you have going on right now. So a lot of our talk is focused on identifying aspects of both that can help you understand which of the two you should go for. Obviously, everyone's gonna have their own favorites and just because we might have a different favorite does not mean yours is any less valid. So strap in and enjoy our talk about theater of the mind versus battle maps. Well, hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Double DM, episode 75 about theater of the mind and combat and all of these little things that are aids and visualizations and, and that sort of stuff. But first, I am as always your host Emil. I am with me I am with me today. Yes, exactly that. I am with me today. I'm here alone today. I'm going to do this all alone. There's no co-host at all. Nils, how are you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great. I'm just feeling happy to be here, happy to record episodes. I just enjoy it. You do? Yes, I do. Wow, okay. It, it doesn't seem like it at first, <laughs> but yes, I do. <laughs> how was your week, man? What, what, what was the happenings? Uh, there wasn't that much happening. I just had one session of Curse of Strahd that mm -hmm. was quite fun. Mm -hmm. We escaped basically the Baba Yaga's hut fight barely but we did and yeah that that was about it in the session kind of and that was about it yeah okay hanging on by a thread some people got downed because the hut kicked them in the fucking face as the huts do exactly but yeah that, that about wraps up my ttrpg things more or less mm -hmm. but yeah anything uh, other there wasn't it wasn't that of a spectacular week for me it was How pretty uneventful right yes okay uh yeah no i i don't have ttrpg sessions anymore i so for me it's also pretty sparse when it comes to ttrpgs because those take up a lot of time and it's exam weeks and that means that i don't have sessions for the next two weeks aside from a very very few one of them mm -hmm. is tomorrow on friday um where we are currently at um a cliff house investigating the leader of a crime organization of an underground crime organization and yeah i have my suspicions why all of the leaders of this crime organization went there at night every three weeks and uh my suspicions were correct because when we entered the house and, and roamed around a bit and didn't find anyone and got up to the second floor of this house, we heard someone downstairs. So my rogue and the celestial warlock, which is the full party of the game, slowly make our way downstairs to find what? That's right, four vampire spawns. Oh yeah, mm, that, that mm, nice, yes, four, four at the same time, That that's fun. Yeah, but it's getting to morning. The first sun rays are already hitting the coast side, so my character already has a plan, at least depending on how much I know from as a character about vampires, but there's a window next to me. You can guess who's vaulting out of there. Hell yeah. Let's hope it's not the cliffside. <laughs> no way I'm fighting four vampire spawns in a room. Yeah. I'm not that much of an idiot. I'm I'm a big idiot, but not that much of an idiot. No, but yeah, uh, we it, it's fun. This campaign is also coming kind of to an end because our GM said that it's kind of the campaign he wanted to run. He wanted to run this campaign where, where it's about this this vampire lord uh, apparently uh, that is killing off people, and that's mm -hmm. no good. And we want to stop that, especially because they're my people. Because my rogue gives a fucking shit about other people, except their family. The dark or, or the black ravens or something is 
underground organization called where my characters pardon and those are getting killed and that's a no-no and that's why my character is pretty imminent on stopping that vam vampire crime lord and mm -hmm. the celestial yeah. warlock is also there <laughs> <laughs> no he he has also his own motivations to be there and um fight against this vampire lord so it's gonna be fun i don't know what's other, well, I don't know what else is going to happen after we fight the vampire spawns, but I'm pretty sure that that's not going to be all we do in the session. And I can't wait to hear about anything or everything that happens in there, because I like to hear about weird, awesome TTRPG stories, because, I mean, fucking amazing, right? Yeah, right, right TTRPGs are amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of like we nearly did a podcast for two years about them, but only maybe, Niels. Uh, only maybe. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> It's very interesting um, to think about that TTRPG moments are always unique and uh, and one in a million yeah. moments. That is besides the point of this recap. That could be an episode topic, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, um, you, you said outside of, of, of that, uh, you had nothing happen out of your Curse of Strahd session, so you're pretty fucking boring, yes? Uh, yeah, but, but I have some sessions coming up, coming up soon. <laughs> so tell me about those, please. I I'm, I'm, I want to hear uh, GMing, playing, what, what, what are you, what what are you doing both multiple Obvious. times both okay because the next two weeks i am on vacation from work so mm -hmm. i have enough time to do everything yeah and that's what i'm gonna do first of all the uh, this weekend mm -hmm. uh, saturday and sunday i have a session mm -hmm. where we probably will finish the first arc of the homebrew campaign of one of my friends mm -hmm. yeah i'm excited to see where all of this is going mm -hmm. and i can't wait for saturday so i can fucking go there and play some ttrpgs and have awesome character interactions because we have all a lot of fun and engaging characters that interact in a very interesting way with each other we have my character is a noble daughter of some uh, no, local noble family that was married off to some other noble um family but she didn't want to have anything to do with that so she ran away and fled and now tries to accomplish something or get to know not because of her name but because of the things that she academically did okay and therefore is trying to find some old forgotten ruins or something like that mm -hmm. and then we have the son of ex-adventurers very known ex-adventurers who is trying to whatever i don't know that yet so but he's very outgoing very upfront but in some ways mysterious as well and i'm mm -hmm. intrigued to see what his deal is in this campaign and what his goals are mm -hmm. then we have a ex-pirate slash current py uh, pirate i don't know that yet but i know that this character comes from a pirating background mm -hmm. and what's her deal is i don't know yet either but she's very blunt and very forceful okay then we have your typical rogue a very classic broody edgy sitting in a corner rogue okay and then this weekend we are going to get a new player at the table so i'm excited to see what type of character he's playing okay so yeah and the somewhat recluse rogue with the outgoing adventurer son the trying to prove herself noble and the very blunt pirate is an interesting combo in social interactions or in social environments mm -hmm. because everyone has a different approach to all of the things mm -hmm. and the discussions that spring from that can or are very interesting or were at least in the last couple of sessions mm -hmm. so yeah that's something that's coming up okay and then the weekend after that i am jamming a session for the same group but as with me as a jam where they the final goal basically but they don't know that completely yet is to stop the reawakening of the dragon race mm -hmm. that once enslaved the humanity and whatever mm -hmm. and they just received a letter that one of the family members of one of the party members was captured by a vampire family somewhere in the underdark mm -hmm. and they think he might still be alive and he might still be depends on how long they take to get there but yeah now they have an incentive to go somewhere that isn't really part of the main plot but kind of relates to that okay. it is adjacent okay then we have a session in basically fantasy egypt coming up mm -hmm. where they have to fight in the end some fate gods or a collective of fate gods where they now got the hint that some clerics that know about the fate gods went missing which they are now pursuing mm -hmm. and they will be somewhere in a sunken city beneath the desert where the first champion of fate will wait and completely reveal to them what the fate champion or the fate gods are and why they are doing this mm -hmm. and what they are doing 
doing. And then I hope this incentivizes them enough to for them to want to try to stop them. Okay. Yeah. So lots lo lots happening, lots lots coming up, lots lots of stuff going on in your TTRPG world. Exactly. At least for the next two weeks. Mm -hmm. After then, a bit uh, slowing down because exams as well. But mm -hmm. yeah. Okay. No, it, it's really cool to see what kind of games people play, right? It's because we said, right? Every game is unique. Every every player is unique, and 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 the combinations make it unique. And seeing like like you said, the, the son of ex adventurers, the pirate, the more or less princess trying to prove herself, the rogue, and all of these interactions are quite fun because all of you mesh together in that unique way to create that, right? It's yeah. not something the GM or anyone or the game can force on you. That just happens because you're at the table at that moment. Exactly. And and that's always interesting to see. Yeah, I hope that in episode 78 or something I can talk about TTRPGs again. <laughs> Yeah, I'm sure you will. I'm sure you will. No, I, I can still theorize and, and, and talk and present advice for people, which is what we're going to do now. Right after this mid-roll break, uh, we will hear you all on our episode on theater of the mind and combat visualization and how to deal with different types of combat. Hey everyone and welcome to the mid-roll of the show. If you are enjoying the show and content, why not subscribe or follow the show right now on whichever platform you are listening on so you can stay up to date with all episode releases. Then next you can search us up on social media at DoubleDMPod or click the links in the info box of this episode to find our social media channels and follow us there if you want to stay up to date with all scheduling information and episode announcements. If you follow us on Twitter, you will also get a plethora of social media posts as I spend way too much time on that platform. But hey, I have funny conversations with people like you and post memes, so that's a great thing. And lastly, if you want to help the show out even further, rate and review us on your platform. A quick 5 star rating or a few sentence review really gives us the feedback we need to improve the show and help other people find our show too. And hey, you can also just tell a friend about the fun you had learning with us and get them to listen in too. Also, we want to say that our show has open advertisement slots for you to book. Just head on over to our Twitter or email address doubledmpod at gmail.com to get into contact with us about getting your content shown on our show. And before we jump back into the show, I have a small ad for a podcast for you. Snyder's Return, please take the stage. Snyder's Return is a tabletop role-playing game interviews and actual play podcast. We interview content creators, Twitch streamers and fellow podcasters and we put out our own actual play using a variety of different systems. So come and join us, come and have a listen. You can find us on Twitter at Return Snyder. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, or check out our website at www.snidersreturn.squarespace.com. And with that, welcome back to the episode. Today, we are talking about Theater of the Mind, ver not versus, that, that's wrong. Theater of the Mind maps in general, combat visualization, combat aids, anything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Any, anything really that you can use to run your combats and how to how to make your combats um, maybe also more accessible, right? Yeah, and I think one thing that we mentioned is Theater of the Mind. And mm -hmm. what do we mean when we say Theater of the Mind? Well, Theater of the Mind, uh, basically basically says it all in in that terminology already theater of the mind basically using your fantasy to envision in in this instance a combat but it doesn't mm -hmm. end there necessarily right theater of the mind is basically just a more fancy term for imagination mm -hmm. and basically that improv imagination thinking about the stuff in your imagination and than working with that. So for combat, that's basically, hey, you're fighting a monster, and instead of a battle map on the table, your GM describes the environment to you. And you envision it yourself. You envision the monster yourself. There isn't a mini or a token on the table or on the visual tabletop you have. You don't know necessarily exact measurements. You don't know ex everything exact like it would be on a battle map, at least to some extent. So it's all more imagination. It's all in our heads, in our mind. That's why theater of the mind. Mm -hmm. And do you use theater of the mind regularly or just 
not at all or what's your take on that well everyone uses theater of the mind all the time mm. if we're talking about combat yeah sure i do everyone also has to because at some point your players are gonna run into the different direction that you have prepared and there's a fight there and suddenly oh shit you don't have a battle map prepared so you have to deal with that in a different way also sometimes Obviously, um, physical measures prevent us from playing with a battle map because I recently moved and normally I play with a TV next to me when we play where I can show the battle map in the virtual tabletop. So because I don't have want to print that fuck shit out or mm -hmm. buy terrain to make a 3D, I just make a battle map in Incarnate, uh, Dungeon Draft, whatever, Dungeon Painter Studio and put it onto a virtual tabletop and have the tokens there and that my players basically play on the TV. Mm -hmm. Then I have a map. But since I recently moved, that is not the case. I do not have the possibility to do that yet. So I have yeah. to do theater of the mind because I'm physically limited by the environment we're currently playing. And obviously there might be also players that have some form of disability or impairment that doesn't allow them that well to mesh with a battle map. Right, for example, blind people cannot see that battle map. For them, it's still a theater of the mind. Yeah. So why even use a battle map? Because that part is just inaccessible to that player. Yeah, and I think most of the time when you play TTRPGs in general, you're using theater of the mind because you don't build a set for every scene that yeah. you play in. That's the thing. You're always using theater of the mind when you play outside the battle map. So th that is interesting because, Niels, I'm going to ask you the question, how much percentage of your campaign or how much of your games is combat? If you break it down to a single number between 0 and 100, how much of that is combat? It kind of depends on the campaign, but in general, I would say roughly 10%. 10% of your games are combat. Maybe less. So you have 90% theater of the mind, you would say, and yeah. then 10% combat. Yeah. Why do you, would you even use a battle map in the first place if it's only for 10% of your games? Yeah, I most of the time don't actually I, <laughs> yeah it just takes a lot of time to set up mm. for a when we have more time to prepare and nothing else life-wise going around like exams or whatever and there is something big coming up mm. like the final boss with the bbeg and then yeah i sure i might be able to put in the time and build in an awesome map yeah. with creating in the environment itself building some three-dimensional props or whatever mm. But most of the time, I just don't have the time to do that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree, right? One of the biggest parts, when I ask people and when I see the question asked on Twitter, how do you spend your prep time for your D&D games? At least 50% of the people say 75% of the time is my maps. And yeah. And now don't get me wrong. Maps are great. Mm -hmm. I love creating maps. I love using them. They're quite cool, especially if you're a good map maker. Right? We talked about this with Eric from Maps and Quest in a Battle Maps episode from way before this episode. I think it's 60 episodes at this point away. So mm -hmm. it's over a whole year that we did that episode with him. And let me tell you, I love Eric. Eric is a great map maker. There we talked a lot about battle maps. And yeah, Eric talked to us about that he can't do theater of the mind that well. He doesn't gel with working with the distances in theater of the mind. Mm -hmm. And I 100% agree. In a game that uses distances for spells, abilities, and everything, basically. D&D is measured in five feet. D&D always works in five feet. Mm -hmm. Everything you do in D&D is measured in the five feet range, basically. That's the basic form of value in D&D. Mm -hmm. Everything is dividable by five when it comes to movement, sight, range, all of that stuff. Because five is the unit of measurement. Five is the one. Yeah. Divide everything by five in D&D and it wouldn't change a thing. Exactly. So that is okay. That, that, that is a design choice to have that measurement baked into the system. But that that means that that measurement is something that you should uphold when playing the game. Yeah. And that means... <laughs> that you do have to at some in some ways always care for these measurements and the most easy way to do that is through a battle map in combats because most of the abilities in D&D are used for combat please people stop saying that D&D is not a combat system that is not an insult to the system at all it's a fact D&D yeah. is a combat system a lot of the book is used for combat on combat only that is not necessarily a bad thing no one says that that means you cannot roleplay in D&D. It just means that there is very few in the rules that encourages roleplay or enhances it. Enhances it. Mm -hmm. That is good and bad for some people. Make your own decision about it. But do not go around saying that D&D is not a combat system. 
system. 80% of the rules is freaking combat related, or at least can be combat related. Yeah, exactly. If that is not combat system, I don't know what is. But that means that that combat is an integral part of the game, right? D&D mm. is supposed to involve fighting. First of all, because the players have a lot of combat abilities and want to use those abilities. So let them use these abilities. Second of all, because the game is called Dungeons and Dragons. In its first instance, it was Dungeons and Dragons. Going through dungeons and killing dragons. So, yeah. right, even though 5e is nothing like that first edition anymore, that core essence of thematics kind of state i'm not saying that everyone needs to have dungeons and dragons in their games but it's still a game that involves killing monsters and going for loot yeah it's just the way the game is written it is no yeah. judgment there because it's just a decision the designers made it's just the way it is but it's neither good nor bad but it is part or it is just a combat system yeah just period that just goes back to that's why a lot of people like to use maps for DD mm. because it just feels natural to them to use a map that keeps track of those distances that are so integral to the combat of the game exactly because on a map when each square is five feet which has been kind of set as the standard that is not, not not a bad thing it just made it sound like that but it's not bad but that is the standard of the game if that standard is on a map everyone can agree on it there is yeah. no debate about how many squares you can move the game says you can move 30 feet and each square is five feet so you can move six squares in a round exactly or then do the different things your DD allows you but that is a different thing but if, if, if you have a map in front of you everyone agrees to it that's the main big part for me for maps if a game system is so focused on this accuracy basically in combat with its measurements with its exact damage and all of that stuff right mm -hmm. it it helps to have a map because the map allows fairness in it yeah and it gives it a level of consistency yeah because whatever map you choose it's still five feet per square it is mm -hmm. consistently five feet per square for yeah. everyone and everything everything you measure five feet increment yeah and, and the thing for the gm about that is that in the theater of the mind setting, i'm not saying that the people that play theater of the mind do this but theater of the mind has the possibility to become this and that is yeah. where the gm has the, the gm has final say the gm can decide if you're able to run up to this enemy and hit them or you're not if the system has these exact measurements and the system says this player can move 30 feet in a round and then still attack and do other stuff and the gm says in the field of mind where you're 35 feet from that enemy the player is short of five feet for that mm. and now some might look at this and say that's not a problem right the gm has always final say and that is something that is entirely different to talk about um but just generally on a map you do not have the final say you are not allowed to say that one square is suddenly 10 feet instead of five to your players yeah. if your player is only five squares away from an enemy they want to run up to you do not get to say they are seven squares away and you do not get to say they are seven squares away they are five away the map says so not you the map has final say exactly. in this instance and, and the map that, that is why this map provides fairness that is why this map is in the system that is so i'm just gonna use in quotation marks crunchy because dnd is not the easiest system to go by it's in it, i would say it's intuitive to one group and that is gamers because yeah. it is so made on its accuracy mm. measurements accuracy in range accuracy in all of it that gamers get to it very intuitively board gamers and video gamers because they both have this analytical value of accuracy in rules and DD has that other systems that are more designed for narrative approaches stories and characters that are less about combat and more about the players talking their way out of stuff do not need that rules accuracy and that's why they might come not as intuitively to that group of people yeah and just because and dnd has become the biggest thing first of all because it was the first and had a long time to build its legacy but also because this fifth edition is very accessible to the one group that was very adjacent to role-playing all the time but never got their way necessarily into it and mm -hmm. that is the gamers right that yeah. was also in dnd 4e 3e and 
and all of the other E's, that was always the case because it came intuitively to the gamers, in my opinion. Yeah. When I started playing D&D or other systems that I like at the Dark Eye, for example, is also that very rules accurate. It felt like a video game, at least in some instances. Mm. So it was easy for me to get into the mindset of playing it. Yeah, because it kind of works similarly, at least in some parts. Yeah. Like the video games, for example, we both like to play. Mm. So it's way easier to imagine how a rule is written and how it is meant to be and how it relates to mm. in-game operations. Yeah, and, and what I'm not saying with that, that that's the only and sole reason why D&D is the biggest, right? There are many different reasons for that and probably people that have played the other editions of D&D, because I only played here just for nine years and D&D 5e has been around for seven years at this point, I think, six years. Mm. So obviously I only played 5e. That doesn't change anything because most of my friends are gamers and when I introduced them to D&D, it came intuitively to them and the only person from my friend group that it did not come intuitively to was the non-gamer yeah. and I analyzed that that's the reason why D&D is so popular among people that play TTRPGs very casually because most of these people actually play video games and play a few TTRPG rounds and D&D is the most intuitive to them because it is so accurate because you can feed a computer all the D&D rules and it would be able to be a dungeon master yeah Th that's one of the things these that, that was one of the hypes a few years ago the AI dungeon masters right there were a lot of different I think I saw at least five different instances of someone making an AI dungeon master where mm. the AI takes you through text adventure and combat and that only works because D&D is so accurate you cannot do that for play powered by the apocalypse I think or I, I wouldn't, at least I wouldn't imagine it to be happened for that because Powered by the Apocalypse at its core works so much differently than D&D's accuracy for everything. The, the attention for detail in D&D lies within its accuracy. The attention for detail in Powered by the Apocalypse lies somewhere different. Not in yeah. the accuracy for its combat, but the, the attention for detail in Powered by the Apocalypse lies with the characters. That That's not a statement I'm making, that's just something that's so, so we have something for both now. Please don't quote me on that because I haven't played Powered by a couple of so often that I could say that <laughs> but yeah and uh, one thing that just came to my mind was that battle maps help with is organization yeah it helps you organize as a GM or as even as a player what the battlefield looks like mm. especially if there are a lot of things happening at once mm. the more is ha that is happening the easier it is to use a map basically because it helps you keep track of where everything is and how far it can move and the more this becomes the more you have to think of in your mind and have to keep track of mm. and along the positioning of enemies and players and environment in general becomes that much easier with a map because you have it visually in front of you yeah and don't have to keep tabs on every moving piece within your head yeah within your head while you keep track of what these things can do what these mm -hmm. things can create or whatever story reason there is for this fight or whatever because mm -hmm. it's a fuck ton of shit that you have to think about and then yeah. the combat part as well it can be quite um how do you say that quite difficult to manage mm -hmm. at points yeah I, right it's a grounding help it helps you ground your combat because you put a lot of responsibilities into the map sure yeah. you're the one that made the map but you as the gm do not have the responsibilities of the map anymore the map keeps track of movement the map keeps track of range the map keeps track of placement you don't need to do that anymore that's and and, and those are the three things that in theater of the mind that's what we talked about with eric for example he cannot do well because yes that is hard to imagine i'm not gonna lie having this place placement of everyone is hard and that is what the map keeps track of that is what the map helps you with and it helps everyone yep. because everyone gets the same information it is not a gm has all the information players need to ask for the information type of deal but then in return we talked a lot about um now why maps are good Niels, we're not here to talk about how to design a map now because we did that already mm. but, so please tell me what are the benefits of theater of the mind it is more or less quick because you don't need any setup time mm -hmm. uh, except if you want to perfectly describe everything you might want to think about that but that's on a different page i think but it is relatively quick to create something in the theater of the mind because you just have yeah. to explain it and to add to that you can expand it right can I make a simple description you're in this field of snow there's a few snow dunes there's maybe a single tree somewhere in the distance that is all you need as a description for for the first round of combat and then in the second round of combat you can also go and also use now there's also rock now and all of that stuff right you don't add that th those things but you can kind of keep them in or even better let your players ask you questions about it right if my 
with I play Theater yeah. of the Mind, one of my players goes, is there a rock where I can hide behind? I'm like, hmm, you're in a snow field. Yeah, maybe. Why not? Why not? There is a rock where you can hide behind. Yeah, exactly. Boom. It is one thing that for maps was a benefit. The exact opposite is the benefit for Theater of the Mind. It isn't as grounded as a map. You can yeah. not necessarily change it, but you can add certain things to your description to make it feel more awesome, more intense, yeah. more engaging, yeah. or give more options to your players, yeah, which right. then in turn gives agency to the players back. Because if your player asks, is there a rock to hide behind in a map if there isn't a rock there isn't a rock but in theater of the mind you can say yeah sure why the fuck not pulling with the punches there is now a rock you can hide behind that there you go you have options now someone might now go but but that's changing that's um that's again the gm arbiting everything and yeah i kind of agree right it's kind of the gm's choice to do that but that's what you run into in theater of the mind but remember that we're talking about we're not talking about worst case scenarios we need to go get away from this mentality that Everything needs to be looked at with bad faith players. Exactly. Because when you have the more average, normal TTRPG players, they are okay with that. They don't necessarily have the big of a problem if their GM decides that they can't attack someone in, in the first round, have to walk too much in the first round and ha don't get to attack in the first round. They don't have a problem with that normally. One thing about theater of the mind <laughs> is that participation, that collaboration part of it. Yeah. Your players get oh, yeah. to ask you that question, like you said, like we said, but also they can ask and all that stuff, but, but theater of the mind is a more collaborative experience than the map because the map gets made or looked at, right? The GM searches for the map because they have more information than the players, right? They know what they want from this combat. So they mm -hmm. make or choose the map perfect for it. Yeah. The players don't get to say in the map. And now someone might say, well, they aren't supposed to. And yes, I don't disagree. It's okay if your players don't get to say in the map because it's your world after all. But seriously, it's a small, small plot of land in your expansive, immense world your players can ask if there's a fucking rock they can hide yeah. behind right it's <laughs> not that they're asking is there a fire is there a volcano beneath us which they might which they might can do in a different game that is not dnd but besides the point and th that is one thing why i like theater of the mind combats a lot mm -hmm. is because i usually just describe the big parts of the environment and then the uh, the little minute details mm -hmm. gets filled in by my players yeah most of the time at least at my tables i just say yeah you're in a snowfield there's one tree or there are some some trees i don't specify the number maybe or whatever or if you're in a house i mm -hmm. just describe how how big the room is and kind of the vibe of the room and the rest is up to my players basically yeah. when they say yeah i want to uh, rush towards the enemy and vault over a couch or whatever that is in my way okay so suddenly there's a couch i didn't plan that but my players did and mm. it gives it kind of gives agency to the players as well because yeah. they can with that discourse between you create the map with you without creating the map mm. because they have a say in what happens and how it all looks and what they do i swing from a chandelier okay yeah now there's a chandelier i thought there were torch holders but now there's a chandelier let's go for it yeah and that agency is which is fun because a lot of people always say that the narrative is the most important part of a ggrpg but as soon as it's comes to a combat they become these people that go oh hey this is my combat my players need to adhere to my narrative no no and, and that, that is the thing a lot of people always say it's about the narrative in a TRPG, and i agree narrative is important and narrative is the most fun part for me as well playing mm -hmm. a fun story with my friends in a combat that also applies in a combat they my players can also go hey i imagine that there's a chandelier my player character can use to swing from a to b and as neil said you can go okay i thought they were torch holders but yeah let's go for it let's take this generally you can swing from that yes make a check hmm. yes please and, <laughs> yeah right it's never that that players are necessarily also upset if that option isn't there because they're kind of asking they're still asking right they're going hey I imagine that there is something like this. Can I do this? And then the table can decide, right? Often everyone looks to the GM for the decision, but if another player goes, well, I imagine there were torch holders because I wanted to grab a torch to swing around to hit the Yeti that has gone into, that has somehow went into the throne room or something, right? Mm -hmm. And that's fire damage, blah, blah, blah. And that's good against Yetis. But, and then you can make the decision. And then one of the players will go, okay, we go with your idea because, okay, we don't have torch holders, but we have a chandelier. I just gonna try to get a different way to get on get to fire mm -hmm. right and, and 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 that is completely fine and on a map first of all on a map you would also still have the ability to have a chandelier because you, most of the time you have a top-down view and don't have the roof of the map there so theoretically yeah. you could still have chandelier but that's 
besides the point. The map still yeah. sets. The map still says the table stands in this way. Mm. And that's it. Obviously, also, one of the things about maps is their statics. Yeah. Right? I've seen a few people make maps that have basically four stages to them where, where there is differences in the map that clearly tell a story. But those maps only work if you tell the story the map already tells you. Right? I've, yeah. I've seen a map of someone, I think they made a train that um, derailed. And I'm talking okay. about TGRPG ra- trails, but actual an actual train that derails on a battle map. Mm-hmm. You can only use those four stages of the battle map of the train derailing if your train derails. Exactly. So that is cool. That is fucking cool. But it only applies to the train derailing. That is a specific scenario. And that is yeah. the one big problem battle maps have for me Mm. they do not change they are statics because there are maps they have to be images to be used even if they're videos they're statics because even though if they move they are still statics because they still show you a set thing yeah your table's decisions on the map do not matter for the map you have to change the map in the combat if something changes the map drastically in the game exactly and that is the big part of maps why I think, um, why yes, you can take out, I don't know, a dry erase marker on your map that you have on your table and draw, I don't know, the landslide that was just caused. And, and that's fine. It's not about that that takes away from the immersion because it still has immersion for your players. Your players are still mm-hmm. able to disconnect the map from the, what they have in their imagination. Yeah. But it just isn't the same as um, <laughs> when there would have been actual landslide on the map. Yeah, Obviously, exactly. you can't do that. I'm not saying that you should do that. Um, I'm not advocating that you, as a GM, have to account for every possibility because you all know that's impossible and everyone knows it and that's why your players deal with it. They they don't complain because there's nothing to complain about. Mm-hmm. But still, that's a big downside of maps. They are static images of a specific type of terrain in a specific point of time that you have to deal with. Yeah. They do not change. And uh, one thing that just came to my mind is the bigger the map gets, mm. the less of a problem is the staticness of the map. Yeah. The bigger the scale gets. For example, if a city map doesn't change, that's not a big problem. Or a continent map or a world map or whatever. Because they're the minor changes that the players are causing can't be felt or can't be seen that well on a mm-hmm. smaller battle map like 10 by 10 squares in dnd this can be seen quite heavily in comparison so i think the bigger the scale of the map gets the easier it is to mm, to still keep the feeling of impact without changing the map at all if you know what i mean yeah but i think that works more on tiers than on actual scale of map yeah it, yeah exactly um right if you have a city map and your players fight in a specific house hmm. you would still need to have a map of that specific house that then is where the problem arises again again yeah. it's not actually that, a, that much of a problem it's just that it's a downside it's one of the things i think everyone has felt that as a gm if they have big combat and and something big happens and they're like hmm the map still looks like it did before huh can't do anything about that and that is this feeling everyone has and that is yeah. not necessarily a bad feeling it's just there you need to deal with it but if you have theater of the mind you do not deal with that because everyone can imagine the landslide, and now everyone, if they're a good faith or normal faith player, will also know that there's a landslide there and play like that. Exactly. If it isn't on the map, maybe the player forgets it. That happens. Hey. Happens to everyone. It's still a thing that the map has that as a downside for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think especially uh, coming back to the scales of mm-hmm. maps or the tiers of maps. Yeah. The bigger it is, the more it lends itself to a map itself because mm. you can keep track of more things at once. Yeah. For example, in my world, I made a continent, a continental map of mm. every country and the whole world itself. Yeah. Because if I have to keep track of this shit in my mind, no. I, I just can't because there's mm-hmm. too much shit going on and I like to see where all the shorelines are and create some trade r- routes. Not that the trade routes can't change, but those aren't part of the landmass itself. The landmass can change as well, but blah, blah, blah. That's a whole nother topic. Right, everything can change, but right, you, ha- you have that map in incarnate or whatever and you can change it there as soon as it happens, but you cannot change it in the moment it happens in the game. And that's exactly. the problem battle maps face. Yeah. Continental yeah, exactly. maps don't face that problem because you can change them afterwards. Mm-hmm. And the change isn't that immediate. Yeah. And in Theater of Mind, for example, keeping track of whole continent, no, I just 
would mangle up everything, everything, where every city is or whatever. I just mm. couldn't. But maybe that's a problem in, with me, but meh, I, I think everyone faces that. I can keep track of stuff, but at the end, having a visual aid mm. helps with a lot of stuff. And I mean, that that's again, right, to, uh, going the circle further again, Again, battle again. Maps and visual aids help a lot in in organizing, in in understanding what happens. Right? If you give your players a continental map of your world, they can understand geography of your world. Hmm. That will help them in immersing themselves in this world. Exactly. That does not mean that you need to make a map. That that is a false um, implication of that. You do not need to make a map. You just need to understand that a map can help. Again, yeah. it doesn't help necessarily everyone. Not everyone is the same in this. But for me and Niels, apparently, it's very helpful to have a visual aid for something. Yep. And that visual aid helps. And the fun thing is we do a podcast where there is no visual aid. We, we just <laughs> yeah. do audio. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think everyone gets the picture what we're going for. Yeah. Even if we made a video podcast kind of deal, mm -hmm. probably wouldn't just go on and draw maps all of a sudden when we talk about maps. No. We would still just talk. I would have the ability to show them on the screen. But, yeah. but that's besides the point again, right? Exactly. We, we're just here to talk about the, the, these the, these aids. Okay, so why did we talk about all of that? We, we now have discussed battle maps, future of the mind, and the niche details of both, and disadvantages and advantages, and all of that stuff. And we arrived at the point that both was good. Yeah, and I think one thing that you have to think about before deciding whether to run Theater of the Mind or a map mm -hmm. is in which situation or which situation am I running right now and which thing lends itself better towards the thing that you as a table want to accomplish. Mm -hmm. If you want to accomplish accurate, grounded and very visually helped combat very precise movement precise yeah. tactics maybe go for a map because theater of the mind can get tricky with that mm -hmm. if you don't care about the accuracy of the exact measurements and yeah five feet more or less who cares about that and it's just about creating a stronger narrative where everyone can compile or yeah, compile things into mm -hmm. maybe think about the theater of the mind and yeah. in general just think about what you want to achieve not just you but you as a table mm -hmm. as an entity as a, as yeah. a whole want to accomplish and then decide what you want to run mm -hmm. sometimes decision is even easier right thinking about just what works for this table and what doesn't yeah. because right we talked about it with eric in episode 16 or 18 about that hey eric doesn't work well with future of the mind when he plays dnd because he wants to keep track of these accurate distances Hmm. so he does maps that's literally his deal he does maps and rules like games that don't need maps so how that works as a business model we don't know he also doesn't but right he <laughs> he does that because he knows he has a problem with connecting theater of the mind with the accuracy dnd wants from its yeah. combats so he does maps and his players love his maps because they're great so that alone is just a simple decision they made as a table or he as a dungeon master made but for example i at my tables have realized that my players have a lot more fun with theater of the mind combats mm -hmm. while i still can throw in the occasional map for especially big combats because mm -hmm. i think for a big combat for a very big boss battle having that accuracy helps the combat more than having the freedom of theater of the mind yeah i totally agree same with my tables or most of my tables. Yeah, because right, that accuracy just helps you deal with it all because it's mm -hmm. it's a big and grand combat. You don't want to leave anything up to, and this might sound weird because we're playing it here, you don't want to leave anything up to chance. Yeah. You want everything to be kind of laid out and accurate so it feels like a fair fight, right? Coming back to that fairness of a battle map that it provides. It keeps track of that distance for you. It is fair in that distance because the distance also applies to the villain on that map but mm -hmm. that map allows you to play with that fairness and yeah th that that accuracy can help you in a big bad combat because hey it's kind of a limitation for both sides right and if it's a limitation yeah. for both sides it isn't a limitation at all exactly um, and it just keeps it all consistent yeah that, that is really one of the biggest parts right it's consistency and that consistency can be used by you and the players because nothing feels worse than a big bad evil guy com big bad combat 
then the combat feeling unfair and inconsistent. It takes yeah. away from the experience. If it is unfair because of the consistency that the map or the environment gives uh, to the situation, mm -hmm. because they were caught in a bad situation or they kind of stumbled into a bad situation, that's not uh, that feels unfair for the characters, but not but isn't really unfair. Fairness is defined as applying the rules. Mm -hmm. In a football game or a soccer game for our American friends, or even American football game, it doesn't matter. Any sports competition, that's where fairness comes from, more or less. Mm -hmm. They have a set of rules. And if that set of rules is applied and adhered to, that's called fairness. Everyone is treated the same before the rules. Unfair is not applying the rules. Or yeah. unfairly applying the rules, right? The rules are not applied the same to everyone. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that consistency just makes sure that that combat feels fair. And it cannot yeah. feel, right? Some people might say it's unfair if, that, if, if, if there's a disadvantage through that consistency. But the definition of unfairness is something different. Yeah, because fairness and consistency link together. They, they belong together. As long as you're consistent, you ca more or less can't be unfair because... Right, the, can, the, players, the, the players won't feel cheated because everything makes sense exactly. after the rules. Exactly. But, but the combat might have still been hard or might have still killed one of the player characters and they feel bad after it, but they know it's been fair. And normally, if the combat is fair, no matter what happens, if the combat goes good or bad, the players on the table have fun. Exactly. That's the usual case. Obviously, yes, you know your table better than us, and we're not here to 100% rule how you rule your table. Uh, we're not here to command how you rule your table, but we're here to tell you most players won't have a problem <laughs> if a yeah. combat goes bad, but it has been played fairly. They have exactly. a problem, however. I've seen more people have a problem when a combat goes good for them, but has been played unfair, than a combat that goes bad for them and has been played fair. Because one of the two is kind of what you agreed, but because you agreed to play a game. A game has a set of rules. Please adhere to these rules, right? Rule of cool is still there, and I think it has still applications that you can sometimes use, but only if you need to, right? We talked about that in extent in other episodes already, but just really, people do not like being cheated. Yeah. And I have seen more people feel bad for being cheated, even if it's to their advantage in a TTRPG, than it is when they're not cheated and they lose. Because that yeah. loss feels just mm -hmm. that victory feels unjust when they realize it and don't go around saying well they will never know that is literally the worst excuse you can find <laughs> yeah yeah i if, i don't if want you... to bring up uh, i don't want to rant about that too much because i need to do an episode on that with you but mm. there is but there is something in me brewing about that and how much <laughs> i'm gonna rant about they will not know because i will not tell them to yeah because yeah, yeah, how yeah. much i hate that response yeah yeah yeah, yeah. different time different day <laughs> for that mm -hmm. but yeah even if you or if you apply the rules fairly if you just consistently apply the rules to both sides you set a challenge basically even if huh? one side is favored by the rules but not with the rules yeah you are applying a challenge and overcoming this challenge feels like a major fucking victory and even if you didn't completely overcome the challenge but only parts of it it still feels like a victory mm. for, to the players but if you just manage to accomplish the things you did because you were favored by the rules or because the rules weren't applied consistently enough on both sides That just feels like, yeah, okay, yeah, like there is no meaning to that. Like your parents have been letting you win at Monopoly when you were five years old. Yeah. Yes, as a kid, you felt good because you won. But as soon as you realized your parents did that to you, you were like, okay, can we play normally now? And exactly. then you lose and that feels bad and that's okay. But over time, you will read that. That's one of the things parents teach their fucking kids. It's okay to fucking lose. Yeah, yeah. But that, that's a thing that a lot of people have to learn or still learn or relearn or rediscover yeah because the amount of people that i know due to my work or whatever that feel cheated because they were just adhering to the rules is just fucking insane but the other thing yeah yeah but i think it's very fun because theater of the mind has more and less room for error also <laughs> mm, yeah the map right as we said is consistent the map as soon as it's placed on the table is with 
and, and now this might sound weird, is without fail. It's there. It's supposed to be used as it is there. The map is without fail. Theater of the mind is somewhere where you can error, right? One of the players says, I rush up to this bandit, to bandit number five. And you have established that bandit number five is 30 feet away from the player, so they can rush up and hit. And you also establish that bandit number six is right next to bandit number five. And the other player says, I kill bandit number five, and now I turn to bandit number six. And you as the GM go, well, bandit number six is not near you anymore. And he says, wait, what? Since when? Right? Yeah. That's where that error can creep in, because you cannot keep track of everything together. And we talked about that in extents already, and it's kind of just like repeating, repeating, repeating the stuff. But it's important to hammer that home. If you play theater of the mind, keep in mind, <laughs> the theater of mm. the mind, <laughs> keep in mind, theater of the mind has its own problems. Keep yeah. in mind that theater of the mind can, if you're a GM, lead to GM fiat. You having a say that basically your players don't get a say in. Mm -hmm. you decide where these bandits stand and your players have to deal with it no matter what you say no again we, we're not here to play a game where the gm decides everything and future yeah. of the mind can lead to that i'm not saying that it does necessarily for your table if you're listening to this but remember that if you play in either style both styles have flaws both styles have advantages. Find the style that works for you and keep the option of both open. Especially if you're playing a game like D&D where this, when you want that accuracy, which you only get from the map, and other games where you want that spontaneity of a combat, there's Future of the Mind, there would Future of the Mind be better. But you can mm -hmm. still use both in the other medium. It's just gonna be different. And you cannot run it the same way. Yeah. You, you cannot. So, for example, if your players use a fireball in a D&D game on a battle map, they place they place a marker on the map, more or less, and say how many enemies they can get. And the marker says that. And you say, okay, you guess it, I roll saving throws for this all. And when your players go, in the future of the mind combat, I want to throw a fireball at the most amount of enemies there that I can. The decision they now would have made as a player where to place that now needs to be made by both of you. And you as mm -hmm. the GM need to be open and honest about how many enemies they can hit in a single turn. And that also needs you, you need to apply several steps. When your players look on the battle map and see, okay, I can place a fireball here. That would hit four enemies, but I need to move up for that. So the player goes, okay, I move here. Now I cast fireball at that point. That would hit all these four enemies. In theater of the mind, you would go, okay, you. there is a point where you can hit four enemies at once, but you will have to move for that. You do not need to specify the location where your players move, hmm. but you need to keep track of that they moved. You need to understand that the theater of the mind still forces you to play the game in the same way, like the map does. It's just incentivizes you in a completely different way. Exactly. And and you need to be honest about that. Where can I place my fireball to hit the most amount of enemies in a single turn? I look at the map and see the point themselves. They asked the map, more or less. Mm -hmm. The map gave the correct answer. It gives always the correct answer in that instance. In yeah. Theater of the Mind, they're gonna ask you as the GM. And yeah. you as the GM need to give them the best possible answer like the map would do. Because otherwise, that would be unjust to them. That would be quite literally unfair. <laughs> Exactly. Because the game would want them to hit the most enemies possible with their spell. The only one that doesn't is you. Mm. And you need to shut that thing up in your brain that says you, let's make sure my players don't make the best move possible. Because if they would be able to make the best move possible, they should be able to do. And exactly. that is the main challenge of Theater of the Mind for me, I think. Mm. Making sure that even though I think of myself as someone that is very good at being fair and just to my players, even though I think that I always do a good job never to slip in that mindset of let's make sure my players don't take the best option yeah that is the main part of theater of the mind and that is why theater of the mind is in many ways a bigger challenge than maps oh yeah oh yeah i think it is way ch more challenging to run mm -hmm. but it's easier to prepare and maps are yeah. the other way around basically mm -hmm. i think they're a little harder to prepare because you have to think of multiple different things mm -hmm. but they are easier to run because you don't have uh, the map gives you all the answers that the players might need mm -hmm. and not you deciding it on a whim yeah i think we wrapped it up for today i think we talked about a lot about the challenges of treasure of the mind and battle maps and how to deal with those and the advantages and disadvantages and all of that stuff and, and gave advice on, on navigating 
negate the two. Mm -hmm. So I think with that, Niels, please wrap us up for today. Yeah, and as per usual, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DoubleDMPod, or you can visit our website, www.doubledm.com. We also have a Ko-Fi if you want to check that out. And please, if you like the show, please leave a rating on your favorite podcast listening platform. It really helps the show out. And as usual, as per usual, thank you for listening. See you on the next one and bye-bye. Bye-bye.